We have almost forgotten that we are in a great mortal combat. The battle of the forces of good and the forces of evil. Today we are beginning either to domesticate the devil or else to deny him. God's definition of himself is I am who I am. The devil's definition of himself is I am who am not. He is most powerful when he is denied. Welcome to Wednesday War College. This is Wednesday of Holy Week, the week that changed the world. The, the month of April also is dedicated to the... Uh, it's uh, both devoted to the Holy Eucharist and devoted to the Holy Spirit because the tradition of the church has developed because Easter Sunday generally, generally falls in April. And in essence, April's a month of Easter. And during the Easter celebration, we also remember the Eucharistic sacrifice Christ gave us at the Last Supper and the gift of the Holy Spirit to make fishers of men. I got two guys here who are fishers of men. Uh, Dr. Dan Schneider, Carl Clement, welcome to the show, War College. Today we want to talk about uh, how is it that spiritual warfare can augment a priest's sacerdotal ministry. So that's what we want to tackle today. But before we do, I just want to mention, and maybe Kyle, you can jump in here. There's a father-son retreat. It's called Proper Masculine Roles, June 19th of the 24th, with Father Ripperger. There's also a mother-daughter retreat, June 26th to July 1st, with Father Ripperger. And then there's also the Reclamation Theology Retreat, June 12th to June 17th, with Kyle and Dan Schneider. Kyle, Kyle can you tell us a little bit about these retreats and where they're at? Yeah, so our, our venue is uh, a place called Louis Lake Lodge, or Lewis Lake Lodge, just out of Lander, Wyoming. You can find that uh, on the internet. You can see uh, the facilities and everything. It's a wonderful, lovely setting. Father uh, Ripperger is very, um, is very um, enthusiastic about these retreats. We did one last year for fathers and sons, but um, he's very adamant about addressing right roles in the church, doing it in a small group setting. Um, it was a very, very rewarding retreat last year. And so um, he wanted to do another one this year for fathers and sons, as well as mothers and daughters. The week preceding those two retreats is um, I'll be doing a, a retreat on reclamation theology, which is essentially some of the traditions and practices that uh, were prevalent in the church up until this last um, last. 70 to 80 years and how we can regain some of the vitality and effectiveness of the just simply day-to-day -day practice of our faith. Um, this retreat is geared toward married couples. However, anyone discerning vocation would be welcome as well, but it's the power of vocation and the realization that grace flows into humanity through the constructs of vocation, either religious orders or marriage. And so join us. I, I very much encourage you. It's just a beautiful, amazing setting up in the Wind River Mountains in, in Wyoming, Lewis Lake Lodge. For more information, you can um, email or you can go to www.liberchristo.org and then uh, request more information on those retreats. Thank you, Jesse, for that opportunity. Absolutely. And uh, this is, this is uh, 
Are they going to be recorded? I mean, can people buy the recordings in case they don't go? Uh, Kyle, is that be possible? No, we're not going to record those. Uh, it's in a very rural setting. It's in a very remote setting. Um, and so that's one of the concerns. The other one is this is one-on-one -on -one time. This is face-to-face -face time with Father Ripperger uh, in a very intimate setting. And it's just a pretty amazing opportunity to, to be in that kind of rarefied air. Um, and so, no, they're not recorded. Um, you can't do the next best thing or the virtual thing. Just come be with us. You got it. Give us again the website and uh, the email so people can access uh, information to the retreats. So you go to www.libercristo.org. Uh, it's L-I-B-E-R-C-H-R-I-S-T-O.org and request more information on the retreats. By the way, I appreciate the Gregorian chant music being on. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Glad to have that back. Yep. Uh, I put that on at night, my laptop, and I just put it real quietly throughout the room. And boy, man, do I sleep. I feel like I'm in the arms of angels. Hey, Dan, welcome to the show. I, I see Dan is here with us also. Well, let's jump right into it. There's a, a lot to talk about here in terms of how spiritual warfare can augment the sacerdotal ministry of a Catholic priest. Uh, Dan, what say you? Especially as it relates to the sacrament of confession, I guess that's probably uh, a focus where it could augment a priest's ministry or, or maybe some other areas. Dan, what do you say? Can't hear, Dan. Oh, yeah, unmute yourself. There you go. Okay, Dan is unmuting himself. No. Ah. Yeah. Oh. All right, there we go. Yes, sir. Go Technology. Ahead. What would we do without it? Yes. Yeah. Um, with yeah. You know, in the catechism, you we've quoted this many times that 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 all of man's history has been one of our combat from the beginning of time, uh, the beginning of human history unto the very end. I mean, the angels. The, the doctors of the church teach us that the angels, um, the fallen angels, all angels were created good, uh, and those fell at the those fell in rebellion uh, on when when it, when on the day two when it said God separates the light from the darkness. So when God separates light from darkness, the, the fallen angels separate out, and from that moment it's game on. It's spiritual combat um, in the cosmos, and this now plays itself into uh, in human history. So so. We are oriented to God through our sacramental construct. And the demon is constantly militating against our sacrament, our sacramental construct. And he's constantly trying to draw us out of that, out of the protection of our sacrament. For a married person, the sacrament of the, 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 that construct is the sacrament of, of matrimony and the authority structure that flows within that. The same thing goes for the priest. The priestly ministry is the, they're all part of this, this conflict. So on one hand, they've got a they've got a deepened level of authority over all the faithful you know, to hear confessions, to bless, to lay hands, to drive out demons as part of the threefold munera or office of the church of the, of the ordained priesthood to rule, to sanctify and to to preach. Um, so so that's part of it. But at the same time, the more priests we talk to, the more that 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 are that are starting to recognize that we are in it. We are in a dour, a dour spiritual combat that I, I've met increasingly a number of priests that are starting to use um, some of these techniques of spiritual warfare, you know, during confession or after confession. Um, one particular priest friend of mine uh, started doing this uh, after giving absolution um, and getting good movement, new simple binding prayers. 
um, praying prayers beforehand, playing Gregorian chant in the church while people wait in line, you know, like we talked about in the webpage, that, that Gregorian chant, hell, that that is like suppressive fire. That's like an M60 fire, just constantly projecting into the cosmos, the chant of the church, uh, um, you know, the, the, the echoing the angelic chants and choirs before the throne. So we're ent- the priest enters into combat the minute the minute he uh, chose to be ordained. That's the minute that that the, that the combat began. So so learning to use little tactics um, spiritual and spiritual warfare, praying beforehand, binding any spirit of confusion that would block the memory of any of my penitents that would come to us today. Um, you know, uh, um, even simple binding prayers during the confession and then afterwards. Uh, um, some uh, this one particular priest is doing some severing prayers uh, in the sacrament of confession in, in the sacrament of confession and to great great success or you know as, as he reports a lot of a lot of deeper conversions because of it. Can all these prayers be found in Father Ripperger's book uh, the, uh, that he writes for priests minor exorcisms for priests? Were, were, is that where the prayers can be found? There, there's some, there's some, in the, 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 the severing prayers are in that book. Um, and in the back of that book, there's other devotional prayers that still come in this one. The deliverance prayers are used by the laity. They're very similar prayers, but they've been adapted for priests. Yes. Got it. Hey, uh, Kyle, what music, people are asking me what Gregorian chant music is played right there on Liber Christo when you turn it on. Is that, uh, obviously they're male, they're male monks, uh, you know what the, what the name of that chant is? Some people were asking me. Yeah, so it's straight out of the protocol. And what we recommend is the Benedictine monks of Domingo de Silos or Domingo de Silos. Domingo de Silos. Um, and the, the reason we like that particular one is it is um, exactly the way uh, Pope St. Gregory wrote the chant. And incidentally, the chant was written to dispel spirits of the air. It's, it's a weapon of spiritual warfare. That's what it was written for. Mm. And so um, those chants, as the Benedictines would establish a monastery and begin to pray and chant, they uh, the chant provides what we call air superiority. It takes the it takes the spirits of the air, especially of the night. Um, and so, in a particular area that was a lot of spiritual warfare there would be these chants going up 24 uh, seven. But the, the Benedictine monks of Domingo de Silos or de Silos, they are true to the form. They, they do it exactly the way it was written and we find it most, uh, most effective. Wow. Uh, that, yeah. I've never, I've never heard it put quite that way. I, I think I told you Kyle and Dan that I, I was over in uh, Bakersfield, California probably about a year and a half ago, doing a, a, an evangelization retreat, male and, men and women. As they were taking me back to the hotel, the people that invited me, I stopped by a 7-Eleven to get something to, get something to drink before I went to the hotel room. And I'm not sure if I told, if, if Kyle's heard the story. So there's speakers outside of the 7-Eleven and they're blasting Gregorian chant. I'm like, whoa, I can't believe this because it was a bad part of town. I mean, it was a ho- crime-ridden part of Bakersfield. I go in and get my my drink. I, I notice everybody has a dot in their forehead. I said, these are Hindus here. What are Hindus doing playing Gregorian chant? <laughs> you're gonna want you're gonna want to hear the way this ends. Okay. Uh yeah. Yeah, it it, it just basically it just encapsulates everything you guys say about Gregorian chant. You're listening to War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider talking about all things Catholic. Stick around. You don't want to miss what's up next.
College. <laughs> Jess Romero, Carl Clement, Dan Schneider. So you guys will enjoy this story about Gregorian chant. So I, I, I'm, I'm making a purchase at 7-Eleven. It's 9 o'clock at night. Uh, Hindu owners are playing Gregorian chant. Three speakers are projecting out into the parking lot. I'm, I'm like, what is this? Bad part of town. And I asked the owner. Uh, he had a dot in his forehead as well. I said, sir, you're, you're not Catholic. He goes, no, no, I'm Hindu. Look at my dot. Look at my dot. Uh, I said, I'm, I'm just kind of fascinated. You're playing Catholic music from your speakers out there. Did you know that? He goes, yeah, yeah, Catholic music, Catholic music. Uh, I said, why are you playing that music? I'm just kind of interested. He says, he told me, we have a real homeless problem here. Panhandlers, uh, people sell drugs in the front of the 7-Eleven. He goes, it's bad for business. I've tried everything. I call the cops. I put uh, uh, sprinklers there. I, I throw smoke bombs out there. I do, I've done everything to try to uh, get the homeless out from in front of 7-Eleven. Nothing works. He goes, some Catholic came in one day and told me, he goes, you need to put Gregorian chant. They won't come back. And he says, so I put speakers and I put this Catholic music. He says, guess what? As soon as I put that music on, he says, my homeless problem is gone. They get up, they take their mats, they take their drugs or syringes. They walk away across the street where they can't hear it, holding their ears in pain. True story. Just thought I'd share that with you guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Many times we've, we've had, I mean, Kyle was with me on a couple of these doing intakes and, uh, the, you'll see the, you know, they come to the church, they want help. We sit down and kind of talk to them, get them started on the protocol. And uh, about 10 minutes in, the person will say, uh, we, they'll look right at me and say, you turn your music off, please. <laughs> what are you talking about my music? I don't have any music. And I don't remember it because I play Gregorian chant 24 seven on my phone, turn your music off. It's, I don't know what it is, but it's making something in me very, very angry. So, so, uh, and another time I, I've told this story that that uh, the priest said, hey, uh, you know, the demon sometimes during a session stays kind of goes low and doesn't doesn't want to doesn't want to get smoked out and doesn't want to doesn't want to fight uh, that day. And so the priest says, well, do something, you know, make some, you know, do some images, do something. So I just took the again, Santo Domingo de los Silos from uh, monks, the Tadeum. The Tadeum prayer is a, it's prayed on Sunday morning. Uh, and, and memorials uh, in, in the office of reading, um, in the office of readings, and and it, this is the chant of the angels before the throne of God. So I played this uh, for the person to hear, and and again the demons traffic in the senses. So soon as this, soon as it, soon as you hear this long intonement, again they pray it exactly the way it was intended, the way Gregory wrote it, and um, and the demon instantly manifested, and then it was a very powerful session. Um, so I got kind of Mr. Smart guy, PhD. I thought, well, I'll try a different one next week. The next week we go to session. I break out DSA Ray, the day, the day of wrath, you know, it's good Friday, uh, him. And the demon looks at me like, and kind of gave me this nod, like it's not going to work. So i oh, interesting. So we went on with the session and et cetera. And then afterwards I looked on my phone, uh, and I saw that this was not by monks. This was the West. It was a, the one that I had downloaded. It was beautiful to the ear, but it was prayed by lay people in the Westminster choir and the demon knew the difference. Um, wow. The chant of the church, that, that's what that, those two, those, those two incidents really made me a believer in this. And we can tell you all day long, play Gregorian chant 24 um, seven. But when you see 
Um, it'll make a believer out of you, and it'll, it'll expand your ecclesiology. This is why priests need to begin to see with bigger vision the authority, the power that they have, but also how to tap into some of these tactics to the to, to the betterment of their parish. If you've got a, you've got a, a problem in in um, you know you've got some issues and cat, your catechism group or there's always division. Whenever there's whenever we have source of divisions and infighting, start praying certain prayers uh, of binding to stop any spirits of division. These tactics all work. Um, and in Gregorian chant, uh, holy water, all the sacraments of the church, these things are, are geared towards combat and they work very well. Let me ask Kyle a question. Kyle, well, what if somebody would say, hey, uh, you know, I write, I write uh, music for, you know, modern Catholic music for Oregon Press and others. Why can't, you know, we could probably just use... Uh, some of the contemporary music, some of the praise and worship to, to augment a priest's ministry and to drive out demons during the session. Uh, what would you say, Kyle? Why why wouldn't or or would modern music have the same effect as Gregorian chant in uh, in uh, giving a superior uh, you know air, uh, air support and, and driving out demons? It'd be like walking into the Battle of the Bulge with a squirt gun. <laughs> This this is the real deal. These these things are real. This this idea that um, just because I want something or I want to offer praise and worship, that's songs that are theologically not only theologically incorrect, but they're um, metaphysically incorrect. And so there's not a what break what makes the demon come to bear. What what drives him to to tree, so to speak, is the, uh, is the truth. It's always the truth. And if it's not absolute pristine truth, then it's not going to happen. And just another observation is one of the things that makes that powerful, Dan alluded to it, is that these are virgin voices that are giving their lives to God. And these monks raise, range in age from 18 to 80. Um, you got to look at the cosmic impact of that virginal voice you got to look at the cosmic impact of the inspired virgin who writes giving glory to god and guys i don't care i i really don't care how this hits your ear but if you have carnal knowledge of a woman if you have uh, especially if you have homosexual activity or experience you have sullied your intellect you've sullied your mind it doesn't mean that you're a cripple beyond battle that's not it at all but you're not you're not eligible for the officer corps. Bottom line, you're going to be relegated to being a gunny. And that's fine. There's a place for you. But this idea of, of priests coming to, to the priesthood um, in a diminished capacity, they're already entering the, the fray uh, with a handicap. But we see this modernly where modern lay theologians, and Dan will speak to this, they bring a lot of the... the um, impurity of their secular relationships and lives into the study of theology. And you, you simply can't do that. Uh, you have to be aware of, of where your blind spots are and how another fighter can hit you. And these guys largely are not aware of, of their, uh, of their, of their vulnerabilities. That may have been a little bit off topic, but that's, that's a longer answer to your question. Well, let's jump into another question that I have for you. For both of you, whoever wants to, whoever wants to tackle it, uh, there's a lot of deacons around the country that ask. They have they're, they're well intentioned. They want to be involved in healing and deliverance, and they want to know 
if uh, if they have the ability to pray chapter three over an energumen, uh, of course, you know, not 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 the full rite, just chapter three, maybe you know, in, in a minor session. Uh, so, what are the do's and don'ts for a deacon regarding chapter three? And also, can deacons do deliverance sessions by by laying their hands, maybe during a minor a minor exorcism, uh, by laying their hands over an energumen? And uh, and doing imprecatory prayers. So, what are some of the do's and don'ts of a deacon? Yeah, the, the, I'll start it, and I'll let Kyle kind of uh, weigh in. Um, there was a, a dubious sent to the CDF, June 26, 2015, um, and it was clarified on this very thing: who can pray exorcism? Um, up until then, there was some debate on whether uh, all priests can pray exorcism or not. Um, and the second part of the dubium was. I'm looking at it here, um, what, asking a question on, on the deacons. And so it says, in relation to the second dubium, namely, can a deacon badly confect blessings which are not express, expresse jure permitted to him in the 1956 Rituale Romanum? This pontifical commission would respond that regardless of the question of validity, it is clear from Canon 1169, paragraph 3, that this faculty granted to a deacon to confect a blessing must be expressly conceded. Now, it does, it does not appear that any such faculty has been granted by two deacons by church authority as regards to the use of the blessing rites contained in the 1952 Rituale. Such concessions indeed exist in the 1984 De Benedictionibus, but these are given on a right-by-right -right basis and therefore only pertain to those particular rites referred and laid out by that liturgical book without any influence on the rights used to blessings in the 1952 19, uh, the rituale. So what they're saying is the deacons are, are, are limited to those prayers or blessings that are, that are put in the book of blessings. Um, Kyle. Yeah, I think that um, one of the things I'd like to make a general observation. One is that all liturgical norms, all prescriptions, everything uh, instructive was written prior to 1960 with the understanding that if it is not prescribed, it is prohibited. Post-1960, the secular degradation of the culture says that if it's not uh, prohibited, it is permissible. I'll give you an example. If you look in the Weller, uh, at the very first, very first part of the Weller is general instructions, or prenotunda. And it says the priest vested in surplus and stole, and then it goes on to the rest of it. Now, it won't repeat that for every single one of the blessings and, and rituals that goes through the rest of the Weller. But because it's included in the very first, then that's the prescribed. It, there is no provision for, for a permanent deacon. There's no provision for anyone other than a priest properly vested. And so every once in a while through, throughout, you'll see a priest properly vested. But the understanding is that if it does not say a permanent deacon may do this blessing with the permission of his bishop, if that language is not expressly in, in the manual, then it, it doesn't exist. There's, there can be no presumption. And so to understand that the office of permanent diaconate did not exist prior to 1965 is a, is a very important understanding. And so just by the operation of the norms, procedural law, he's, he's not going to be uh, prescribed or permitted to do that. Now, let's come at it another way. Once chapter three is included, the prayer against Satan and the fallen angels by Leo Thirteenth. once it's included in the formal rite of exorcism, 
as chapter three, it now falls under the regulation of Canon 1172, which means that only a priest duly mandated or authorized by his bishop may be an exorcist or may serve as an exorcist. So when you look at these two uh, areas or these two vectors, if you will, on how to address this question, you see that even if a bishop were to give a deacon, permanent deacon authority, that's beyond his ecclesial ability or his ability as a bishop to, to grant that authority. And so the, the answer by the CDF on this dubia is, is very clear, and that is no, a deacon may not. Um, and then the subtopic with regard to the deacon laying hands, you bring up a very uh, worth use of a very important word, and that is hold sacerdotal. That thought, hold that. Kyle, hold that thought. I want to continue exploring that on the next segment. War College, Jess Romero. to War College, Jess Romero, Kyle Clement, Dan Schneider, uh, co uh, compliments of uh, the Men of the Shield, some of these little snippets that we have in between yeah. the show. Thanks to the guys. You got to have a sense of humor on this stuff. You got to see that uh, <laughs> you, can get, you can get, you can go from dour combat to sour combat. And, and, and the scriptures very clearly say in, in, in the second Mac or first Maccabees, and, and Judas and his brothers waged war with joy. Um, That's right. Uh, yeah, so so we got to be joyful and we got to have a little humor. Uh, I want to tie in a couple of things to Kyle and I'll throw it back to him. Uh, the canons that are being quoted here in these documents, um, um, for example, Canon 1169, those marked with Episcopal character or presbyters and presbyters permitted by law or legitimate can perform consecrations and dedications validly. Uh, any presbyter, blah, blah, a deacon can impart only those blessings expressly permitted by law. That was was, was cited in the CDF. Now, 1172 is very important. No one can perform an exorcism legitimately upon the possessed unless he has obtained special and express permission of the local ordinary. So if you read just that, well, heck, Kyle's a smart guy. I got my PhD. Jesse, you're an ex-cop. Maybe he could give us permission to do that. And then it, very, then it clarifies to the next paragraph. The local ordinary is to give this permission only to a presbyter. Mm -hmm. And the presbyter that he gives it to, it says, who has piety, knowledge, prudence, and integrity of life. This flows from, from our understanding of the right to bless uh, um, and the whole authority structure is very, very, very important that the authority structure is based not on merit. It can't be given through permission. It's based on office. Even in the Book of Blessings, which I'm, I'm looking at here, it, the, the new Book of Blessings talks very clearly about the, the different offices. The highest office to bless in the church locally is the bishop and then presbyters and priests, and then deacons, and then actors or readers, and then lay people, right? In the office of lay person, we have the right to bless our as well, but within our own office. And even if a bishop gives me permission to do an exorcism, I give you my permission to do exorcism. He cannot give me the authority because authority flows through office. And so we have to be very clear because, because, because as Father, Father Ripker very clearly states that he learned from the exorcists who trained him, 
A working definition of a demon is a lawyer from hell. The demon knows these rules. He knows the rules of engagement. He tries to obscure the rules. He tries to draw us out of our armor, out of the protective armor of our sacrament, out of, out of the armor that, that uh, of the authority structure, which provides defensive, a perimeter of defense for us and protection for us. We, and when he draws us out of that, we're fair game. This is like, you know, if you and I decided to take on, Jesse, you and I decided to take on a, a jujitsu or a judo fighter, right? They will gladly take us to the ground. And we think that we can start doing some, some ground and pound on top of them, but they'll pull us out of, out of our safety net where we are on our feet. And they'll pull us onto the ground and, and, and very quickly do very bad things to our arms and legs, right? <laughs> uh, and, and, and our necks. And we'll be very quickly choking out and tapping out like a little girl because, because they'll draw us out of, out of the safety of our armor. We have to just be very careful. That office, the, the authority flows through office, not through charism. And that office is, is de- delineated through natural law and divine positive law. Divine positive law will situate us where we are oriented to God the sacramental structure of the Catholic Church. Somebody just texted me and asked me this question, uh, since uh, either one of you want to t- uh, uh, answer it. So what about deacons doing uh, deliverance sessions on Tuesday night in the parish basement? And, you know, deacons laying on hands uh, and doing imprecatory prayers on Tuesday night in the parish basement. Is the demon outside of his authority? Uh, I mean, he's, uh, again... Obviously, that's not a liturgical action. It's out, it's it's outside of the liturgy. So, uh, would that be out of bounds for a deacon to be doing that? Yes, it would be very much out of bounds, and he opens himself up again. Uh, intention is not the test. It's not the test at all. And so, what happens here is the demon gets you on a procedural uh, thing. Is he's not authorized to do this, and though. People will say, well, you know, he delivers people and demons leave. They're leaving because the invocation of the name of Jesus Christ. They're not leaving because the deacon nor his office has any merit to do so. So what you've got is a clear display of power with no authority. And then the deacon is going to stand the uh, is going to stand the uh, the penalty. And so whenever someone uh, does this, you can't look at the result as the test. You have to look at what is the spiritual health and, and disposition of the practitioner? And I've, what experience has told us is this deacon, this anonymous deacon, his family is a wreck. He's got children that are away from the faith. He's got a, a marriage that's in trouble. He, he cannot pass the Timothy test. Very simply, he cannot pass the Timothy test, which is the test of only these people who have their own house in order uh, should put themselves forward to act as a cleric. And then even as acting as a cleric, he does not have the authority to impose hands. His hands are not um, anointed. His hands are not, and the priests are. There's a huge difference here in the use of hands and authority. Jesse, you put out a definitive article on on the laying on of hands. And and I think that if someone reads that article, um, which I highly encourage them to do, you'll be able to answer this question just out of a out of a common sense that no this guy doesn't shouldn't be doing this let me ask another question here and, and this is somebody from the spiritual warfare conference that uh, that, that you attended Kyle and, and father Ripperger over in West Covina this is I think the last question from that conference uh, <clears throat> this is a this is a listener an avid listener to the program and they said we have father Chad Ripperger's book hand uh, handbook deliverance for the use by the lady but we're not clear on this matter. 
So they have seven different questions. They want to know how and when can parents and godparents bless their grandchildren and at what ages? So the question is, seven, uh, offspring, children below the age of majority. Two, offspring, children at or beyond the age of majority. Three, can you bless married sons? Four, can you bless married daughters? Five, grandchildren, can grandparents bless the grandchildren? Six, uh, can, can godparents bless godchildren? And seven, can friends bless non-relatives? So I guess the question is, I'm guessing by the laying on of hands, I mean, there's a different things between saying to telling somebody, hey, may God bless you verbally, like uh, Ruth did to Boaz in, in, in uh, Ruth chapter 3, verse 10. But I think, I think these questions have to do with the laying on of hands and blessings. So maybe we can uh, answer this question for the, this, uh, this person who is an avid listener to the show. I think I emailed it to uh, Kyle and Dan, if you have it in front of you, her question. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, so the, so the authority, the right to bless or the right to command flows through office, as we said earlier. So, so um, just because we, okay, so we've got these delineations, for example, through canon law. And, and that doesn't mean that lay people are defenseless, not at all. What, what the, what, I mean, then we see this at work when we're working with cases and teams. The demon's going to try to get me to, to act like a priest. He's going to get the priest to act like his psychologist, his psychologist to act as a spiritual director. He's going to try to just enmesh and, and subvert the authority structure so that grace will not be flowing as powerfully into this person's life. And so, so there's plenty and a lot of things that we should be doing. Once you're working inside your authority structure, swing away. You can use the imprecatory form as much as as much as needed. Now, imprecatory form, imprecatory form, for example, is in the name of Jesus Christ. I bind this demon or that demon. Deprecatory is in the, in the name of Jesus Christ. I ask, I ask you, Lord Jesus, or I ask you, Blessed Mother, I ask you, Saint Michael, to bless or to drive out this demon. Whether it's imprecatory or deprecatory, that same logic flows into the the right the right to bless. So parents have the right to bless their children. Right. Um, because of the office of parent um, grant. But, but the grandchildren, again, it's not laying hands and blessing. It would be uh, a deprecatory form. May the Lord bless you, my grandchild, etc. So because it, and the authority structure is, is, works the same. Um, and so when in doubt, in deprecatory, may the Lord bless you. May the blood blessing keep you. Now, backing up, um, lay people cannot bless uh, objects. We can't sit down and, and bless holy water or anything else, but we can imprecatory prayer. Even we know the traditional prayer before before meals, bless us, O Lord, and these thy gifts. That's a deprecatory form. So when it comes to our children, we, sh we can and should be blessing them. Um, but once once they in get, enter into their own sacramental structure, then it should be it should be a, a, a deprecatory form of either command uh, or deprecatory form of blessing. Got it. Uh, and yeah, and for non-relatives, obviously, they would, you would just, I mean, uh, it, you obviously can't lay hands on people. I mean, but obviously you can wish people, hey, you know, may God bless of you. Of course. Something. Yeah, correct. May the Lord bless you. You know, the, the, the Shema Israel, may the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you, the Lord God alone, et cetera. You know, that, of course, that, that we should be praying for others and interceding for others. But we're talking about laying of hands and blessing. It flows through the same authority structure as as to the office of head of household of the father then to the mother and 
through the father and mother to the children. Kyle, do I, anything else you want to add to that? No, you guys are right on it. I just want to go through those seven questions um, and read Jesse's answers, which, uh, and then I've got a couple of comments. Number one, offspring or children below the age of majority. Yes, dad and mom can lay hands and do imprecatory prayers. Now, this, there's a, a bit of a sticky wicket here with regard to stepchildren, non-adopted, et cetera, et cetera. You have, if another person has also has authority over this child, you have to acknowledge that authority. Um, number two, offspring children at or beyond the age of majority. Yes, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. Again, with an idea that are they in any other authority structure? Number three, married sons. Yes, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. It's a good shift from imprecatory to deprecatory. That's correct. Once majority. Number four, though, is, is married daughters. Yes, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers provided they have the permission of the husband ah the husband has yeah, yeah the husband has the primary authority here and so they have to acknowledge that primary authority. number five grandchildren yes grandparents hold, hold on hold on kyle hold on kyle. we'll be right back Liber Crystal War College. I'm here with Kyle Clement and Dan Schneider, and we're uh, Kyle. You're you're responding to the seven questions that this listener had, Lori, about uh, praying for somebody, praying over somebody, and I'm glad you you, you cleaned up the answer, uh, my imperfect answer on praying over married daughters. Can you give that again? Because that uh, that last thing that you said was very very important. So uh, with regard to married daughters, yes, mom and dad, uh, dad and mom can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers, provided they have the permission of her husband. He has the primary authority uh, in the marriage and over her once she's configured in that vocation. Just go back to the wedding. Did not the father, her father, give her hand and her body to her husband? Yes, he did. And so with that was the spiritual authority. And so they do that by permission with the married daughter. With regard to grandchildren, yes, grandparents can lay hands on them and do deprecatory prayers. Again, with the parents' permission. Got it. Good caveat. And we have to acknowledge not only the natural law, but Godchildren. Good set of questions and answers. 
Good. Those are good, succinct answers. I think it was very clear. You know, you, you were coming out kind of garbled towards the end. Can you answer the last one one more time, Kyle, on non-relatives that you, you, uh, you kind of cut out a little bit as you were answering that question? So non-relatives is correct. Uh, your answer is correct. They cannot lay hands. Um, and so non-relatives, non-familial relationship, unless someone is in uh, and they're not if they're lay people, they're not going to be in a position of authority. If they're deacons, they're not going to be in a position of ecclesial authority. Only the priest is going to have the authority to lay his hands, his anointed hands, his priestly hands, his sacerdotal hands on another person uh, outside of vocation, which best thing to do is just remember, does this go within the office of vocation? And then um, that'll that'll help navigate this area another question can every priest can every priest licitly pray the pope through the 13th over someone or a place as a minor exorcism like in front of an abortion clinic uh with the lady because i know a family who was praying that for years together an infestation type activity resulted so there's some confusion with regard to priests dan can you answer that yeah this goes back to that same dubia um, a priest can pray that uh, a priest can pray it privately, but not publicly without ex the express permission from his ordinary. This is what it says, the dubia. As regards to public use of said exorcism situations other than over persons, such as over places, objects, and other circumstances, um, this is also subject to authorization of the ordinary in accordance with the opening rubric to be found in Chapter 3, Title 12 of the 1952 uh, Rituale. So uh, in the Latin translated, following the, the, the recitation, you're, one is able to recite the, the recitation of exorcism from the, the authority comes from the bishop um, without, and you can't pray without the, without the right authority from the local bishop. So it does not appear that any later legislation ever lifted the rule laid down by this rubric, which therefore remains in force. As for the letter of uh, Inde of Aliquid Anis, CDF 29 September 85, this deals with the question of exorcism by laypersons and of no, no consequences to the situation of a priest. It should be noted that public use of exorcism should therefore understand any made by priest in the name with the authority of the church for the benefit of the faithful. So private use, any priest can pray for private use as a private devotional prayer. Public use, um, it needs to be done um, with, the, he needs to be given permission. Now, some bishops give blanket authority to do this ability to do this through all, all priests. Other bishops re, re, don't let any priest pray it. Others let certain priests that have a certain, you know, time on station, a little more maturity that, that they're not, you know, they're a little older or more, more established. So it just kind of depends on the local bishop. But for a priest to be praying it privately, he can do that. But publicly, he needs permission to do that. And the church is very clear that chapter three, again, embedded into the Roman ritual, the, the ritual of exorcism uh, is something that lay people cannot and should not be praying, but there's still plenty of plenty of uh, prayers of deliverance that lay people can pray in their own homes within their own lane of authority. Awesome. I want to get this in before the show wraps up. We got a few more minutes to just, there's a father son retreat. It's called proper masculine roles, June 19th to the 24th with father Ripperger. There's also a mother daughter retreat, June 26th to July 1st, 1st with father Ripperger as well. Then there's the reclamation theology retreat, June 12th to June 17th with Kyle Clement and Dan Schneider. Uh, uh, Kyle, how can people get information to these three amazing retreats and where are they going to be held at? 
the retreats will be held at Louis Lake Lodge or Lewis Lake Lodge. You can find it on the internet um, at uh, louislakelodge.com. It's a lovely uh, retreat center located high in the mountains uh, at the shores of Lewis Lake up above uh, Lander, Wyoming in the Wind River Mountains. It is a uh, beautiful, beautiful setting. And then they can find more information by going to www.liberchristo.org and uh, click on that more information and just uh, request information on on any or all the retreats. And uh, we'll send you the flyers on those retreats, gives you all the uh, all the information. But we'd love to have you join us um, for uh, for these retreats this summer. And uh, the father-son retreat only has a couple of spots left. The mother-daughter retreat has, I think, three spots left. And then the reclamation theology retreat, we have adequate room. I would strongly encourage you to to come with your wife or your husband. Um, This would be a wonderful anniversary gift um, for the two of you to go on a retreat together. Um, So thank you, Jesse, for the opportunity to talk about those. Absolutely. Well, uh, yeah, this is important. Uh, very, this is good stuff. If you want to get some personal time with these guys and Father Chad Ripperger, this is the place to go. Uh, just a little bit of an investment of your time and money. I got one more question. We got about three minutes left. Are minor exorcisms by a priest best done in the physical presence of the afflicted, or can it be done silently, privately from afar, maybe over the phone, and without the person's knowledge? Dan? You know, again, the the the, the it goes back to the, the to the response of the CDF. The 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 a priest can pray this privately for themselves, um, but but not if you're praying it for somebody else, even quietly, you're praying it uh, outside of authority if you don't have authority to do so. But of course, if, you know the sacraments and sacramentals should be done in person. This is this is the norms of of the church to performing lit- liturgy and liturgical things should be done in person and not not over the phone or anything else. Now, if a priest is praying it. For someone else and he has the authority to pray that for them silently he certainly can but if he doesn't have the authority to pray for other people he can only use the chapter three prayer for his own private use for himself what about some eastern prayers can can uh are they allowed to do some because i know the eastern fathers have some minor exorcism prayers. yeah there's the the saint john chrysostom and the prayer those are very good uh, minor exorcism prayers that can be prayed as well so if a priest Say he's in a religious order, and religious order restricts that ability to pray those prayers. Prayers of severing um, from Father Ripperger's book. There's pray, prayers of severing of spirits. There's these these are in the book as well. The Chrysostom and the Saint Basil prayers. Those are very good minor exorcism prayers, especially effective against witchcraft and, and infestation. Kyle, I don't want to step on your yeah. Step on your toes here. Clean that up. No, no, I I agree. Dan stands right on. I think that the, the thing to remember is the priest acts in persona Christe. Not in virtuali, Christe. Mm-hmm. He, he's... <laughs> we lost Kyle. Kyle, where are you at? We lost. No, I, I, okay. that was the point. Is it, that the priest acts in persona, Christe? Not in virtuali, Christe. Not in not over the media. It's a. It's a. Literally, it is a hands-on um, for the priest for that relationship, and it needs to be in, in proximity. In the same way that you can't watch the holy sacrifice on the ma- of the mass on television and discharge your Sunday obligation, uh, you got to be there. You got to show up. You got to show up and suit up, uh, Dan. You got one minute. Uh, any any parting comments? 
Yeah, one thing that comes up going back to the blessing is is non-adoptive children in the home. Remember, you don't have authority over those children. This comes up a bit. You you know, you marry somebody who had previous children, et cetera. They have you don't have the rights over them, but you do have natural law rights over your home. So 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 even if you don't have natural rights and precatory authority over the children that live in your home or visitors in your home, you certainly have natural right authority, natural law authority over the property, you know itself. So that so you can still exercise your authority. You can drive all the demons out of your home you want. It's just a matter of knowing the limits of your authority. Great point, Kyle. Last uh, last uh, party shot. Yeah, I think that what we're seeing is we're seeing a especially with COVID and and with with other responses, we're seeing this elevation to virtual um, interaction, media interaction uh, with priests, even priests saying deliverance prayers over the media. Um, this is just, I, I think it's improper. I think it's disordered. I think that the demon's going to have us on procedural uh, issues and, and eventually these guys are going to get taken to the woodshed. Um, and so it's a strong caution uh, about not only the practitioners of this, but the participants of this. Um, this I don't think this will do, will, will bode well in the long run. Thanks a lot, guys. That's a wrap. We are EOW End of Watch. You've been listening to Liber Crystal War College. Don't forget the three upcoming retreats, Father-Son Retreat, Mother-Daughter Retreat with Father Ripperger, Reclamation Theology Retreat with Kyle Clement and Dan Schneider. Go to LiberCrystal.org, LiberCrystal.org. There's still openings available. Uh, th- these are three amazing retreats with some pretty amazing uh, retreat masters. Well... That's a wrap. We are. Uh, th- this is the A team. <laughs> Dan Schneider, Kyle Clement, Jesse Romero, the A team. We are. Uh, we are EOW. End of watch. Up next, Gary Machuda, hands on apologetics, coming to you from the Midwest Command Center. As for us, God bless you. Have a happy Holy Week. Keep the faith, and uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah.